0: Growing up, there was often a pot of soup or stew on the stove on Saturdays. And as a newlywed, it was my intention to carry that tradition into my marriage with Allison. Chicken corn chowder was going to be on the menu, and it was going to be good. I put in lots of cream, big chunks of chicken. Ample potatoes, celery, carrots, corn, and, of course, plenty of bacon. It was time to eat, and Allison got the first bowl. She took a couple of bites, but her reaction was less than favorable. Something was missing. Something basic. Something fundamental. It's good, she said. But it's really salty. Like, really salty. I went back to check the recipe. Four cans of Campbell's cream of potatoes, soup, two packs of bacon, two chicken breasts, diced, four cups of chicken soup, broth. 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 Oh no, I had included four cups of chicken soup base. You know, the heavily... Condensed, salted soup powder. I had neglected to turn it into soup first by adding water. It was the water that was missing. Lots of water at that point. Eating that chowder was like eating driveway salt. (laughs) Something fundamental was missing in the chowder that afternoon. And there was also something fundamental missing in the spiritual life of Cornelius and his household. In our summer sermon series, we're looking at 10 questions in the book of Acts. Last week, we considered the question Saul asked on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? Today, we will be in Acts 10 and 11. Scripture reading would have gone out by email this week. And the question is, can anyone withhold water? It was the early days of the early church. Jesus had died, risen, and ascended. The Holy Spirit had come come upon the uh, disciples at Pentecost. And the good news of forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of Jesus, and the lordship of Christ had come to the Jews at Jerusalem through Peter's sermon. The Samaritans had received the word of God, and the keys of the kingdom were unlocking the message of the gospel to those who would hear The disciples were being Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. The next stop with the gospel message was the end of the earth. The rest of the world. Gentiles. We saw the beginnings of this a couple of weeks ago when the gospel came to the fringes. It came to the Ethiopian eunuch through Philip who asked the question, do you understand what you were reading? What's interesting is that the end of the earth would have one of its beginnings in a man who seemingly already worshiped and served the Lord God enter Cornelius a centurion of the Italian cohort who was stationed at Caesarea our passage this morning calls Cornelius devout but as we will see there was something missing in Cornelius's life something basic And God is intervening, arranging for the Apostle Paul, or rather, Peter to be involved. Let's work through that missing ingredient together, but first, let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you that uh, we can hear the testimonies of those who have received new life in Christ, and that now we can hear from your word together. May your spirit work to challenge, convict, encourage, and Lord, may it cause us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray in Jesus' name. So what was missing in the spiritual life of Cornelius? Let's start with something tangible. Something we can observe with our senses. Something we can see. Was it his works? We would recall Jesus' words here when he said in Luke 6, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush so what kind of man was Cornelius did he bear good fruit or was he a bramble bush let's look at Acts 10 1 2 at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort a devout man who feared God with all his household Gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. What we have here is a textbook focus on the family man. Cornelius had a good job. He was a centurion. He managed a department of up to 100 guys. He is devout. He leads his family and household in the fear of the Lord. Probably a dad who who leads family devotions. He gave alms to the needy, charity. He was in constant prayer. And if we read further in verse 22, he was upright. He did what was right in the Lord's sight. And he had a good reputation amongst the Jewish nation. This guy should be involved in a men's ministry somewhere. He's on it. In fact, Cornelius is depicted as performing most of the typical duties of a Jew. Prayer, almsgiving there may have been some fasting included and he likely participated in jewish worship in some cases this is a man who no doubt feared god and sympathized with judaism it doesn't appear that his works were missing so what was it what was missing something fundamental was it his knowledge of god the Apostle Paul would pray frequently that those who follow God, those who are devout, would know God. Henry prayed this earlier, that uh, in, in Colossians, Paul prays that the believer would be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Did Cornelius know God? Peter seems to acknowledge that, at the very least, Cornelius knew of God, that he knew the facts about Jesus, When Peter is preaching to Cornelius' household in verses 36 and 37, he says, As for the word that he, God, sent to Israel, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. In the text, Cornelius seemed to already know that God had anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus healed the sick and those oppressed by the devil. That Jesus died on a cross. That Jesus had been raised from the dead. And that Jesus had appeared physically and interacted physically, eating and drinking, with witnesses. These are things we would look for in a church's statement of faith, aren't they? They're crucial elements. We see in this an acknowledgement of the Trinity. Sovereignty of God. Jesus' Lordship. His victory over Satan. His death and physical resurrection. Cornelius had a good knowledge base underneath him. But something was still missing. What was it? It wasn't his works. It wasn't his knowledge of God. What was missing? Was it his will? His volition? We're familiar with what Jesus told his disciples about surrendering their wills. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me was cornelius a man who was willing to take up his cross and follow christ surrender his will to god's will as we heard from many of those who went through baptism this morning we know from earlier that cornelius was a man of prayer we know that he was obedient to the revealed will of God in his life. When the angel told him to send messengers to Joppa, he did as he was instructed. We know that while his messengers were away, Cornelius assembled his family and friends in anticipation to hear the word of the Lord through Peter. And we know from verse 33 that Cornelius trusts God will work through the, pe- uh, the preaching rather of Peter. This is a man who is characterized by his submission, obedience, and anticipation of the will of God. The submission of his will is not in question. So what's missing? What could it be? It's not Cornelius' works. It's not his knowledge of God. It's certainly not his will. These are really great things, but do they make someone a Christian? Let's look at that, because at this point, we might be tempted to ask the question, was Cornelius already converted to Christ? Was Cornelius at this point converted to Christ? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. Cornelius did have many of the markings of a believer. He feared God. He worshipped him through his actions, he knew the facts about Christ, and he was obedient to the will of God. Peter even said, in verse 35, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter likely does not mean that Cornelius, because of his piety, is already saved. This is more likely a statement about a person being in an acceptable state of repentance to hear and receive the message of salvation and a release from sins. That's why the writer of Hebrews warns, Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Cornelius' heart was soft and open to receive the word of God, to hear his voice. He said when Peter arrived, Now, therefore, we are all here. In the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius had assembled his family and was eagerly awaiting the message from God's word that would be delivered to him. And if we look ahead in Acts 11 verse 14, Peter's report back to the church about what has happened. We get further confirmation that Cornelius at this point likely has not yet been born again, not converted to Christ. Notice what the angel told Cornelius about Peter's visit. He said, he, Peter, will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. Peter will declare a message by which you, Cornelius, and all of your household will be saved. Here it is. Here's what we've been looking for. Cornelius had good deeds. He knew about Jesus. He knew about God. He was obedient to the will of God. He was ready to hear the word of God. All good things. But what did Peter preach to those assembled at Cornelius' house? Acts 10, verse 42. He, Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Belief in him. Faith. It was faith that was missing. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 12. Faith, that moment when we believe God, and he credits our faith as righteousness, as we witnessed this morning. While Peter was still saying these things, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. It was faith that was missing, baptism by the Holy Spirit. Being born again. Turn to Ephesians 1. Look for Cornelius in this passage. We who have faith, look for yourselves in this passage. That moment when you believed. Ephesians 1. We'll read verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Doesn't that sound like Cornelius? Doesn't that sound like the new believer? Cornelius heard the word of truth, Believed in him, believed in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, and immediately he received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance. We got a brand new stove back in March. It has a number of uh, bells and whistles on it, but we decided against the extended warranty because we had the one year guarantee. If anything goes wrong, we can acquire free service or replacement parts. Well, we've already needed two service calls. A new key part is on back order, and we haven't been able to bake for more than a month. I'm not convinced we'll ever receive the inheritance of this stove, a well-baked tray of chicken nuggets. A guarantee is only as reliable as the guarantor and the guarantor's work. For those who have been born again, our inheritance is resurrection to eternal life in Christ. And that inheritance is guaranteed, provided, protected, and sealed in the giving of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the inheritance is unshakable because God is the guarantor, And his work needs no warranty or service call. It is rock solid. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. So in this instance, who is the Holy Spirit a guarantee for? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee for the new believer, for Cornelius. Acts 10, we'll read verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer, they become a new creation, passing from death to life, John 5. And there is evidence, strong evidence, that this happened here for Cornelius and for his household. How do we know that? There are two signs, two confirmations of the guarantee. First, the new believers spoke in tongues. A sign gift at that time that reflected and validated that the gospel had advanced to a new corner of the globe, and that those who had believed were indeed sealed with the Holy Spirit. Second proof, the new believers were extolling God. They were lifting his name high, speaking the great and powerful things that encompass and define God's character. There is a changed life in the new believer, as we heard from our baptism candidates this morning. There is a turning point, and there is proof. And while the prevalence of tongues is limited in our day, we would still expect to see fruit consistent with repentance, as John the Baptist would say. So the Holy Spirit is a guarantee for for Cornelius that he had received the Holy Spirit, that he had, in fact, been born again. But the Holy Spirit is also given as a guarantee for Peter and for the other Jewish believers. The distaste for the Gentiles, even loathing of them, was somewhat normal for Jewish people at that time, and God was correcting that view right before their eyes in real time. You see, Peter was there, when Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 that they would be his witnesses to the end of the earth, to the Gentiles. Peter would have been aware of the promise that the Gentiles, through Israel, would be invited into the peace brought by Messiah, that the Messiah shall sprinkle many nations and make them clean. In fact, Peter had even preached in Acts 2 at Pentecost that salvation would be available to all. He said, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And now Peter finds himself at a monumental point in history where that promise is being fulfilled, guaranteed. And the manner in which that guarantee comes knocks the Jewish believers into a place of amazement and awe. Let's read back to the vision Peter received while praying on Simon's housetop in Joppa. That's the vision of the great sheet with full of animals and reptiles being let down to earth. We'll start reading at verse 13. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Peter didn't get it, at least not right away. In verse 17, we read that Peter was inwardly perplexed, and in verse 19, that he was pondering the vision. And sometimes we need a bit of time to do that, don't we? We saw that was with uh, Saul last week where he prayed and fasted for three days. Peter was clearly working some things out, but somewhere along the way to Cornelius's house, he got it. The spirit had showed him that this was about more than food, about more than animals, because when he arrived, he said to Cornelius, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But here it is, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. The message is that salvation, forgiveness of sins, and a right standing before God in Christ is available to all, to anyone who will believe through faith. Not just that, but there is equality and unity within the kingdom of God. And how was that message, that message of unity and equality, communicated to Peter and to his disciples? The exact same way it came to the Jewish believers at Pentecost. Look at what happened, just listen, rather, in Acts 2, when the Jewish disciples believed. Acts 2. They were filled, rather they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance the witnesses of that moment said we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of god they were filled with the holy spirit they spoke in tongues and they extolled god they told of his mighty works now what happened when the gentiles cornelius and his household believed Acts 10, verse 45 and 46. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Believers in both accounts, Jew and Gentile, received the Holy Spirit, and the evidence was identical. The believers spoke in tongues, they extolled God. They told of his mighty works. The message was sinking in for Peter. Now he got it. There was nothing missing anymore. Salvation is equally available to all, and all are equal in salvation. You can picture Peter with a quiet amazement asking the question the question of our text this morning. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Just as we have? The Holy Spirit had been given. Given to the new believer, Cornelius, a guarantee of his new life and inheritance in Christ. Given for the Jewish believers, a guarantee of equality in Christ. When Peter was later defending himself to the Jewish church for eating and associating with Gentiles, he would say, if then God gave the same gift to them, to the Gentiles, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. But I spoke too soon. Because there still appears to be one more thing that's missing. We haven't dealt with the water yet. The water that was missing. The water that testifies of new life in Christ. The water that speaks of receiving the Holy Spirit. The water that publishes the news that an individual has been born again. The water of baptism. For those who have been born again, born of the Holy Spirit, have you identified with Christ in his death and resurrection? Have you been baptized? In verse 48, Peter didn't suggest that Cornelius and his household be baptized. He didn't offer to baptize them when they worked up the nerve. He commanded it. Verse 48, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when we are baptized, we also identify with others who have already been baptized, the body of Christ, where there is unity and equality among believers. We have this unity and position in Christ. Do we practice it? There's a drought across many places in North America right now. There's no water. Is there a spiritual drought in your soul? Do you need to add some water and soften your heart toward other believers? 1 John 4 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We have an opportunity to testify of our unity, of our love for God in Christ, and for our brothers and sisters together at the Lord's table in a few moments. Let's thank the Father that we have this position of unity together because of Christ. And let's ask the Holy Spirit, our guarantee, to reveal to us if we are united in practice. For those who have not received the Holy Spirit, are you a sympathizer to Christianity as Cornelius was to Judaism? Maybe you're devoted to the ethics of Christianity, the values of Christianity. You would espouse things like a large family, the sacredness of life, the sanctity of marriage, doing good to others. These are all good things, but they are the results of love and unity in Christ, not the cause of it. We can be devoted to the ethics and values of Christianity and not yet be devoted to Christ. We could be an unsaved Christian. Maybe you're devoted to your own personalized ethic. You've really just created the God of your own opinion. Is your spirit repentant? In a condition to hear and receive a message about salvation... And a release from sin? Or is your heart hardened to this message? Ask the Holy Spirit to add some water. Relieve the drought of your soul. And soften your heart. So that you might hear and believe a message by which you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture of the gospel in the testimonies that we saw this morning and even in the life of Cornelius. So many good things, uh, Lord, and it's by faith we're saved. We thank you for this truth. And as we move to uh, remember the work of your son on the cross, we ask that you would quiet our hearts and minds, uh, search us, cause us to reflect on your goodness and on your great love for us. Thank you for today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.